What's up? This is David, co-founder of Omniscient Digital, and you're listening to The Long Game. In this episode, we sit down with Joey Chan, director of brand and content at 360 Learning, where she manages a team of 17 working across content, SEO, social media, community, campaigns, PR, video, website, evangelization, and brand. Yeah, it's a lot. Before 360 Learning, she was at five other B2B SaaS startups serving in content roles and always with a focus on inbound demand generation in multiple languages and markets. In our conversation, we talk about her experience being the star of a video series about her first 90 days onboarding to her current role at 360 Learning and a brand benefit of those sorts of marketing plays. While many companies focus on channels and activities that have a clear, direct, measurable ROI, Joey and a 360 learning team have built out a much more diversified marketing portfolio that includes both those traditional channels like paid content and SEO, but also bets like a masterclass style learning hub and a second video series and a podcast and more. Joey shares the thinking behind those bets and how she was able to make a case for all of those. We also get into a heated discussion about content as a career and how we need to level up its place in the marketing org. She shares how she has worked through the cultural shift from a pure paid demand gen culture to seeing the value of organic growth and brand. Here's my conversation with Joey Chan. Joey, it is great to see you. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, David. Yeah, it's great to have you. So we met many years ago. I believe it was at Inbound in Boston. Oh my God, I feel so old. (laughs) You were at Mention at the time. And in my research, I went back and found that video. And we look like children. There's a a video of you and me interviewing you, I think. Yeah, Um, yeah. Oh my God. I, I don't want to watch it. I think it'll make me cringe so much, but um, I, yes. I cringe seeing myself. So <laughs> I, I get where you're coming from. I, I would look back at it just for nostalgia. It's a reflective time of the year. It's the end of the year. Um, but now you're the yes. one in front of the camera and everyone in B2B, it feels like has spoken about onboarding Joey. So oh. we can start there. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah. Onboard. Yeah. Tell us about that. What What's going on there? Well, for people who, I mean, most, I think people uh, haven't heard of Onboarding Joey, it's basically a B2B reality TV show that my company decided to do, take a huge risk um, on me uh, when I started my job as content director. Um, The pitch was to follow me for 90 days until my probation period ends and see how my onboarding goes and whether... I, you know, passed my probation basically. Because in France, it's quite a big thing like to pass your probation because then once you, you're in a permanent contract, it's, it's like, you know, they can't fire you or whatever. Um, so so that was the yeah, pitch. And, and maybe, yeah. Maybe for listeners to who aren't from the EU, my, my understanding is probation is like first 90 days, an employer can decide to just let you go if it doesn't work out. Right. But if you pass probation, it's my understanding of EU, like, hiring policy or like employment policy is it's almost impossible to fire it's like you're golden well 
yeah, in theory. So it, it's or it's much harder. It's much harder to to fire someone, and if you do, you have to pay them out like you know three months uh, of salary. So so it's like it's a big decision for the company. Um, so so yeah. Anyway, so the whole that's the whole pitch of the of the show, um, and. At that time, it was pitched to me by the head of video then, who who was like, "I need a new idea. I need a big break, basically, uh, because I've been doing these like how-to videos, and nobody's watching them. And you know, I just want to take a big risk, and either it works great or I lose my job, you know, and I'll do something else. And so I, you know, I was new to the company. I was like, okay, well, there's not much for me to lose here, either. Like only three people watches it like watch it and then forget about it or you know maybe it works who knows and the content marketer in me is also curious about this like new format and want to kind of be a part of an experiment so you know went ahead and and did it and you know it was just him follow me around with an iPhone uh, most days and then we do one sit down interview per week and then he edits immediately and publish in real time so it's really like following me along so you can see it's happening. And so everybody in the company was also excited because they see things happening and then see it on the screen. Um, and then I think the most dramatic part of all that was not in the story line was that COVID happened and then everything shut down. We didn't even know if we could continue the show. And then, you know, so we had to real time in real time, like kind of one step at a time, figure out what's going to happen next. And I think that was really what blew the show up um because then everybody was home and they had nothing else to do too so they're they're watching this person going through covid as they are themselves and so i think that's what created the the resonance probably yeah were were you pitched on the show during the interview process or afterward like did you know what you were signing up for when you joined no it was after i already accepted the job offer uh but before (laughs) i started my first day. So after saying yes to the job before starting my first day, um, and you know, he was just like, I have this idea and, you know, say yes or no. And I said, yes. Yeah. <laughs> have you ever reflected on, or do you feel like you might've acted or done anything differently knowing that there's a camera on you <laughs> and that it was public for people to watch? <laughs> I think that is a great question. I am sure I'm sure I did things differently because there's a camera watching me to be honest. Um I'm not sure I can say exactly what, but I think there is um there's surely more of a pressure from me to perform and to work harder to show what I'm capable of and there's kind of this like you know when you're starting a new job you're already in that like prove yourself mentality and on top of that i'm like well i'm doing this with an audience watching so i better step up my game and make sure i'm not chilling around and and actually like doing stuff and showing showing my my abilities and potential and everything that you want people to think of you when you're starting a new job or or just you know being in in the spotlight a little bit um so yeah i think um maybe it propelled my career somehow in that sense that you know I wasn't I might not have tried as hard if I don't know that you know there are so many people watching (laughs) yeah stakes were kind of high there exactly I mean I didn't think about this years before when I first saw saw the series but now that I'm reflecting it it was pretty cool to see you as an Asian woman like Hong Kong 
living in France, like working at this B2B fast growing tech company on screen, that <laughs> That was just not something that I see very often. So I thought that was really cool to, to Yeah, I didn't I didn't think about that at all either. Um, but then I got some emails uh from viewers saying like, oh, I've never like seen Asian women in marketing being represented on like like yeah, that. And I thought that was yeah. really cool and um I felt seen and so yeah that was it was like oh I didn't expect that and I was like oh that was cool um when I got I those it. messages yeah so let's talk about how you currently got to 360 learning because it feels like 360 learning has really blown up in terms of brand and I think a lot of it has to do with the teams that you have led and you're currently director of mm-hmm. brand and content there yeah what were the milestones both personal and professional that led up to you being in this role? Um, So I think there are probably some things that I've done before I joined 360 Learning that helped me get the role, uh, the first role actually. So I I joined as director of content and then a year in, I got promoted to director of branding content. So I think all the jobs that, and before 360 Learning, I've worked in like four other startups, um, also in B2B, also in SaaS, also in content. So that's really been my like career trajectory and passion. Um, so I think everything that I've done before that helped me get that job as director of content. Um, and in my past experiences, it's mostly companies that don't have a huge paid budget. So content is well, Ed mentioned, for example, it is basically the marketing team. Um, so content is doing growth. It's uh, demand gen, it's inbound, it's SEO, it's it's co-marketing, it's influencer marketing, it's everything. Um, and there's no basically paid budget to amplify. So it's all about like, how do you, how do you get more awareness and leads just with organic activities? Um, and that's been my main kind of uh, experience in before joining 360 Learning. Um, and that's, I think, the reason why they hired me in the first place, because they were in a heavily, almost like 100% paid uh, acquisition wow. situation. Um, they were very good at it. It's like super mathematical, calculated. They know they're very good at the projections and the VP and everything. And but it's getting too expensive and it's not scalable. And especially in the U S uh, where we focus our growth and um, you know, just the PPC and the SCM is just insane. And, and so they're like, okay, we need to invest in brand and, and in content and organic. And so when I joined um, they had like two, two or three content managers before, but they were mainly like in surface in service of the demand gen team. So they would be like, okay, demand gen needs an ebook. So we'll write an ebook, like an internal agency, but they don't have a strategy. They are not like accountable for growth. They don't have uh MQLS scale targets or anything. So so when I joined, I started to, you know, build the content strategy from scratch to design it as an acquisition channel, um, build the blog, SEO, um, and work started building our mailing list because it did not exist. Um, so the the newsletter subscriber list uh, are you know doing co marketing to get 
to grow our email list. And so that kind of started from there. And then we saw, you know, good results and some success. And then um, I hired two more people to grow the blog and our uh, eBooks and long form content more. And then we uh, hired another person to focus on France. So, and, and then one person to replace the head of video who was doing onboarding joy with me, but had left the company. So at that time, like we were a team of like four, one, two, three, four, four, excluding myself. And that was the moment where, um, the, my coach who had hired me, uh, decided that he is leaving the company. Um, and so that was when, you know, I kind of took over his role and, um, expanded to, to, uh, manage also the brand side of things. Um, and that was like a big, um, kind of learning curve for me. Cause like, as I said, my whole career was content and brand is a whole other game. To be honest, for a long time, I thought that it was mainly like fluffy bullshit things. <laughs> um, what for every... should we use? <laughs> <laughs> First, like brand is such a vague, like it's so different for every company. Some company brand is just design. So in some company brand, it's like campaigns, PR. Um, so, you know, already that is like something to be defined. And um, so for context, that was a time where it was still like, booming like grow at all costs mindset uh for the market and our company we just rate series c 200 million so we're like okay let's hire everybody let's grow our team by 200 percent. and so i had to like grow and hire the team really quickly and so as i said there were four people and then basically by the end of it my team was 17 people before i realized like what's happening and that was all within the span of like a year um so so then my team from just content plus video became uh also brand design uh website um campaigns social media pr um and video no and community video was there already community so yeah so a lot of many other things were added and each of these things are their need their own playbook and their own mm -hmm. methodology and strategy and i think um a lot of it really happened so fast and i'm still like i've made some mistakes along the way because i hired too quickly without defining the scopes um clear enough thinking that okay we'll just hire someone good to figure it out uh which to a certain extent works but the strategy still needs to be clearer than i thought it needs to be and so anyway i had to like you know pay the price um now kind of or for the last couple of months now mm. um and and yeah so so what was your original question? Why am I talking about all of this? I guess it was all about like how, no, you know, I got great. to where I am basically. Um, so half of it is kind of like worked for it and, and been my career trajectory and half of it, it's like, you know, at the right place at the right time, but also like kind of pushing myself way out of my comfort zone and doing things I don't really know how to do yet and trying to make things work. <laughs> There's a lot of different directions we can go here. <laughs> I wanna I wanna zoom us back to when you joined 360 because mm -hmm. an interesting thing you mentioned is it was very much a culture of paid acquisition, very numbers focused. 
demand yeah. gen type of playbook. You came in building out this content playbook. That sounds like a really big culture shift. And I imagine there was probably like butting heads or like managing up. What was that whole process like of getting the company to think about marketing differently from that direct response paid number, like hear the numbers, scale up your spend, see this much come out of it versus content is not as straightforward as that sometimes. Yeah. Um, so I think there are two phases to that. So first, because they already made the decision to hire me. So as to a certain extent, they already believed in the value of having, you know, great content and that content could be a growth driver. So, um, I didn't have to like kind of convince them to take that step. So that's a good thing. Um, and the, my, my manager then who, the person who hired me, um, is, was the brand director. So he was kind of already coming in and saying like, okay, you have this paid, machine demand gen working and he was coming in as the brand director saying like now you need brand and to him um how you drive growth with brand other than the design element and making things so pretty is the content the organic side of things so everything that you don't pay for basically it's how it was sold or kind of marketed internally like okay pay, demand gen is everything you pay for you like the paid leads the paid sqls and stuff and in brand once market uh, content is working then you have this organic machine where you have free leads and so he was really like kind of evangelizing that um on you know even before i arrived so that was how you know it got started and that's a great thing that he kind of cleared the the um, he prepared the te- the the ground for me um and then once and so that's the first step, I think, having some like basic acknowledgement that, okay, you can't just have 100% paid demand gen and that you need some kind of brand slash organic growth. Um, the second step that was a bit harder, and I'm still in that phase, I would say even after two and a half years, is how do you educate and advocate for content impact and um, demonstrate our value because it's not as black and white and controllable and attributable as paid. Um, and because the company is, you know, has this deep ingrained culture of, you know, marketing is paid and one dollar in, one dollar out. And and if we put 5K in, we should get five SQLs. Like I can't demonstrate the same type of, you know, reporting and ROI as we do over there. So, so that is like, as I said, to this day, um, an everyday challenge to, yeah, that's, <laughs> to have to that's keep of, um, working towards. That's one of the things, honestly, I have a personal uh, vendetta relationship with. Yeah. Personal vendetta is the right word where <laughs> it feels like content is often seen as less than yeah. uh, the other more direct channels because it's it's not just seen as less than it's also paid as less than like literally is treated that way as well it pisses me off but at the end of the day content is driving everything when done yeah yeah so you you know even before i joined 360 learning i was in another company and i was head of content working next to the head of demand gen and literally everything he does is 
filled by, you know, the content that is created with my team, he's paid three times what I was paid. So I was, you know, just, yeah. So I'm fed up with this, you know, less than situation. Yeah. And that's, I mean, that's frankly, one of the reasons for, and for uh, the audience listening, like we have worked together on some projects, but it's one of the reasons why we want to level up like the content marketing universe through our agency, like pull the content team up to the same level as demand gen and say, Hey, we can do strategy like better than you even like we can drive (laughs) strategy as well. And like, you are one part of the marketing portfolio. You do not take over the whole thing. Like content makes up a large part of what you need for demand gen. And like, that's why I bring like some of the mathematical models that I have from analytics and growth to it Mm -hmm. and be like, look at this model we built out for content and SEO. And then people are like, I've never seen this before. So we're, I think we're both approaching it from different angles where I'm coming Mm -hmm. from the analytics side to be like, we speak your language too. And yeah, you're yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. You can do all this stuff that like you just, you just don't understand because the numbers, like you can't compete the numbers. Yeah. Or, or like you can't actually achieve your numbers if not for mm. what, everything that we do. Um, we were looking at, so, I mean, for the audience listening, our company uses uh first touch attribution. So oh, yeah. today um, we, the way we do reporting, um, for the whole marketing team. So dimension or, or content um, is through this first touch attribution. And we have like all these different channels that generate, generate our MQLs or SQLs and content is considered one of the channels, which in itself is already a bit of a problematic way to think about content because it's right next to like directories, um, SEM, and then content it's one line. And then, you know, and yeah. Um, and so today, based on this model, content or organic contributes to about 20, 30% of the total pipeline. So it's not based bad already. Touch. Yes, based on first touch. Okay. Yeah. It's 30% of total um, pipe generated. And um, that is like free versus, you know, a directory lead, which may cost a few, cost a few thousand dollars. Um, and to me, like, so I've been kind of use, playing by the rules and saying, okay, so this is our contribution based on the model that, you know, you deem fair, mm-hmm. but there's already a lot of problems with that. But then even if we use this like model, um, there are things that basically if you see something attributed to SEM um, and then you click on, you know, you dig into it and then you actually see, oh, it's it's a brand SEM term. Um, it's not actually a keyword. So then yeah. to me, it's just people typing 360 learning and they're clicking on the first ad because they're lazy to scroll down. <laughs> but then it's attributed to paid demand gen. And then we're over here saying like, hey, why is the brand team, so brand including content team, not generating or making their target? And I'm like, yeah. And then if they say like, okay, let's fire the whole brand and content team or cut their budget. Then I'm like, well, actually you're going to suffer in your SEM targets numbers too if you do that because a lot of it is just not being you know seen and yeah so we try to mitigate that a little bit by now including a how did you hear about us field um and just continuously saying like reminding the higher-ups that you know there's more to this 
to the spreadsheet, um, there you need to kind of look at the data with a bit of context and you know all these things. But I think it's it's a long it's a long process. Yeah. Um, Have you found anything surprising or interesting once you've added that open field text for like asking how they found out about you? Yeah, Has so it validated we, or like invalidated some some of your hypotheses. So um, it's. I think it's still early for for us to to make any conclusions, but we've definitely seen a lot more uh, people saying they came from social uh, than attributed. Like from the reporting, it's almost like zero from social, and then but a lot of people say they heard about us from LinkedIn. Um, we also hear them talking about like partner names of partners that we that we work with um, that we probably won't be able to track. Um, so yeah, a lot of LinkedIn and, you know, the, some influencers that we worked with. So that was encouraging for us to see. Um, so not ads. <laughs> no. <laughs> I don't know if anyone from your demand gen team is going to listen to this. Oh my God. I hope not. I love them a lot. And, yeah, and they're also yeah. aware, like they're, the thing is like, they're also aware of how we need to work more together. Like it, cause it's somehow we're like made to compete against each other, which makes no sense. Yeah. Um, Whereas like, and, and that creates problems where like, okay, it works maybe in the beginning when we're a small team, but now we're, we're huge now. We're almost a 40 people marketing team. We need to do big campaigns and my team responsible for orchestrating these campaigns, but it's so hard to get the whole team to work together because we have like these separate, like way to measure success and like, it's my channel versus your channel. So like, why am yeah. I wasting time working on this like thing that won't help me reach my targets? And so that is the double-edged sword of having very me see like, like I don't know if everybody's familiar with that term, like mutually exclusive. Come, oh man, I don't wait. I need to Google this, but it's like a, it's like a um, con- consulting consulting term. Um, uh, mutually, so yeah, me see mutually exclusive, collectively exhaustive scope thing so it means Uh, that everybody has their own scope and it doesn't overlap um so like your kpi is traffic my kpi is uh sql and his kpi is conversion and clear owner full ownership no no gray area no free riders basically i Mm -hmm. think it's the idea behind it and because we're a remote company and it's very like full ownership and we don't control how or where you work but you push your needles forward and that's it so that's how you know we started with this way of performance management but the flip side is then it creates these like non like environments that's not conducive to collaboration yeah yeah so let's let's zoom out a little bit and talk (laughs) about 360 learnings marketing portfolio so what's interesting about what y'all are doing is you have onboarding joey you have learning Audrey, which I guess is sort of like uh, another series. You have Masterclass, <laughs> you have mm-hmm. the podcast, you have L&D Collective, which are like, um, so there's multimedia, there's community. And what's interesting is these seem like plays where you don't expect an immediate ROI. Mm-hmm. Tell us about the approach to that. Like what's the thinking behind that approach to marketing versus some marketing portfolios? It's like webinars, blogs, paid ads, and you know that's it like so this is a bit different tell us about that yeah um well we do all of those things too so i 
the way I see it and kind of sell it is um, we we do the basic things. What I consider like the business of business as usual content marketing things. So we have a blog, we have an SEO strategy. Um, we're doing webinars to make sure, you know, there's a steady stream of leads. Um, we're growing our email list. So to me, it's really like content marketing one-on-one basics. Like that's the basic playbook. We do it. It shows results. It's our foundation, um, for our kind of organic acquisition strategy. And then because of this and because this, you know, give us kind of a good steady flow of leads and growth, uh, we have some liberty to take some risks and and be bold here and there. Um, and I think it's also like a matter of winning trust with your with your boss, your manager um to show like hey i'm not just here doing random acts of marketing i know what i'm doing there's this like steady feeding of the pipeline um so we have like we earned ourselves this freedom to take 10 20% of our resources to do something different every once in a while um and i think so onboarding joy is actually like more than 2 years ago now already um wow. and and what's i think that's it's kind of crazy in a few ways like first thanks to that big risk that i actually participated in but did not initiate um our company has you know it's given our company that appetite for kind of more out there projects um so i'm super grateful for that and that's how we're able to do uh, learning Audrey, which is the same concept, but featuring someone who is more within our buyer persona and a bit closer to to our value prop, basically. Um, and also, we've kind of developed this uh, kind of skill set to produce videos. So, you know, that's when we did Masterclass. Um, we got sued by Masterclass, by the way. So. Oh, really? Yeah. Are you allowed to say that? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> uh, we got we got approached by masterclass <laughs> um so we had to we had to make some changes to the to the look and feel um but i see it as a good thing <laughs> um anyway so so we did that and then the podcast it's like again like things that are um longer term but what sets us apart and the way when i need to sell it the way I sell it internally is that, you know, I tell them onboarding joy was two and a half years old, uh, but I still get podcast requests today to talk about it. Mm. Like we're talking about it now. So like content investment is really a slow burn. Um, and now that I um, am coaching also the brand team. So like the whole idea of brand, what it means, how do we make sure people remember us? Like marketing is more than acquisition marketing is also your brand your reputation your you know the brand association so and then ultimately that helps acquisition in the long run so so i think you know i kind of try to to sell that idea internally and rco is also very much a believer of like you know doing things different being bold provocative um and so naturally he usually says yes when we have a crazy idea so that helps but really, I think um, 
it's like, you know, getting your, your basics, you know, right. And there and, you know, hitting your targets and then, and then basically being okay that all of these things might not yield return, you know, soon or ever. Um, but like, you know, giving, building the trust. So then you're able to try those things. And even if it do, don't like it, in the end, even if it doesn't drive any ROI, which will be quite unlikely, um, you, you know, you learn from it, your team usually gets a kick out of it because it's doing something different and creative and, you know, marketers get tired of writing blog posts over and over again, running webinars over and over again. Yeah. So we need that to fuel our soul, I think, for the long run, the long game. Um, and and if it works, it just, you know, puts you in a spot so far away from your competitor that it will take them yeah. years to catch up because it's so hard to copy. Yeah, I love it. Yeah. It's like we like to talk about the barbell approach, like making bets where 80% mm -hmm. is a safe, safe bet, like <laughs> webinars, blog, SEO, and all that stuff and paid. And yeah. there's this 20% where it's a risk. If yeah. it works out, it's <laughs> going to be amazing. If it yes. doesn't work out, we spent a year and like some money on it. But like the worst case is we lose that. The more likely cases we get some ROI, maybe not mm -hmm. like a breakout success, but exactly. we're not going to like completely lose on it. So like no. it's kind of like a measured, uh, calculated bet, not just recklessly yes. throwing money at something. Exactly. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. And another in the interview I listened to when I was researching, uh, doing research for this chat with you, you said something really interesting. You said, if it's easy and it's measurable, then everyone's going to do it. <laughs> yes. Say more about that. I think that um, it's like everything in life. It's, um, it's what they say, like, oh, if it's easy, everybody's going to do it. And it's the same in marketing. If it's like, oh, the ROI is sure and you can measure it and it's like no brainer, a dollar in, a dollar out, then why wouldn't everybody do it? And if everybody's doing it, then how are you standing out and how are you winning? Um, and it's that's my belief in, especially for creative marketing, um, you need to you need to put in more work than other people to stand out like sometimes it's, it's not just like more work meaning like more hours and work harder but more like more thought more intention more creativity um and like thinking outside of what your industry usually does like getting inspiration from other um uh, like completely different field and space um you know in our case it's like copying reality tv or like you know trying to to make b2b marketing more human more personal and more interesting and less boring and less corporate um and yeah so so i think it's it's just thinking about what that looks like for your brand and your company and what is the hard thing to do that your competitors cannot do and um and go go in that direction yeah i love it it's it's, I think another angle to think about it too is like breaking out of just incremental thinking. Like, oh, how do we squeeze just a little bit more out yeah. of these things? Or like, what's the phrase I actually dislike is like, what's the low hanging fruit? Like, what's the easy <laughs> stuff to do? Which is you know, like, yeah, sure, go do that. There's only so much of it left and everyone's doing that too. Yeah. What are the, like, what are the big bets you're going to take that 
could have a lot of upside. Like let's mm-hmm. do one of those mm-hmm. things at least once a year, like twice a year. Yeah. And just yeah. know that it might go to zero and that's okay. But mm-hmm. otherwise we're going to be one of those boring corporate sanitized B2B yeah. brands that no one cares about. Yeah, exactly. Um, and the way to to know whether what you're doing is provocative enough is to think whether someone would hate it or someone would disagree with it. Um, if the answer is yes, then you're probably in the right direction. And I would also recommend not making decisions by consensus um, because when you ask people what they think, especially for like, bold risky things their answer is usually like mm, it like might not work. it might not work or like and also nobody wants to own the risk so like mm-hmm. it's not it's you it's your bet so just you know if obviously if you're in the position to make that decision uh but like you can't make it by consensus and hope that oh it's a group decision and everybody wants maybe not like i kind of have to take a risk there um and and then if you win you win you you become a star superstar yeah, <laughs> if not that. and if maybe, yeah but you also lose your job as, <laughs> i mean as the director of content too it, and brand i think it shows like oh joey's taking a risk knowing this might not work and it mm-hmm. didn't work if I mean, hopefully it does work, but if it doesn't work, that also shows to your team, oh, we can try new things and yeah, hopefully yeah. we don't get fired. Like it's not yeah, that yeah, yeah. big of a, yeah, a loss. Yeah. So I love that. It's I think it's, it's important more, yes. for yeah, for leaders to show that it's okay to take risks and and learn from your lessons. And um again, like huge caveat is of course like you're getting your bases covered and you know, you're actually already contributing to pipeline. You have steady growth. You're hitting your targets. Otherwise, all of this is, you know, you're not talking about taking risks and, you know, when when you're not hitting the target and and having your basics uh, right. So I, I would say it's not for every situation in every company. There are companies that you have to do the boring stuff first. I did the boring stuff first. Um, that it was just boring stuff for the first six months. Well, other than the fact that it was also <laughs> onboarding Joey at the same time, but uh, like my real work was just the boring stuff. And then you earn the the right to, to do the risks. And once you do like, um, just, just take them and learn from them and, and then show people that it's okay and encourage them to do the same. And that's how you kind of build this creative environment where everybody's trying new things, experimenting and, and then, you know, magic happens. Yeah. For, for folks starting a new job, don't go pitching a Netflix series or anything like that yet. <laughs> no. <So laughs> Probably not the best idea. <laughs> we mentioned leadership just now. And what's interesting to me is you built your team over the pandemic, one yeah. to 17 employees in 18 months about. What was that journey like? Like you were a new manager, right? Like you mm. had, managed like a team before and not now, like, the you same have to learn how to do all that over a pandemic um, <laughs> tell us about that journey some learnings so uh that was insane um that was an insane experience uh really great in the sense that I love a challenge I like to to grow so so it was very it was not boring at all um but I think that what I like, I'd learned so many things 
uh, during that period on like recruitment, um, managing, uh, managing up, uh, communicating. Um, so all of those things, so many, so many things that I think I need to start a podcast talking about it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, but I, if I have to kind of condense it on a few things, I would say that in the beginning, I thought the win was to hire as many people as possible. I thought that it's about having a big team um, and that is how you show growth and success. You know, like, oh, I'm managing uh, this big 10, 15, 17 people team. That's, wow, great. I made it. And then I realized quickly that um, that is not, the win at all. Um, and that I mentioned this briefly earlier, um, how important it is to have each of the scopes well-defined and the strategy somewhat defined, uh, before you hire the person. So this was kind of a change in mindset in the sense that I thought it's about hiring the best person who knows the job better than I do. Like, you know, they always say hire someone better than yourself. So then they can do it. They can do what you can't do. So I was really holding on to that belief and being like, okay, well, I'm going to hire an expert and they're going to define a strategy. Why would I define a strategy when I don't know anything about community or social media or brand or PR? Um, But turns out that's a mistake because you don't know what profile to hire if the strategy is not clear. Um, I actually had a bit of an argument with my CEO about that. And now I'm like, you were totally right. Um, <laughs> which I hate when that happens. <laughs> um, and But he knows. And uh, basically, you, I think maybe the word strategy is so loosely defined that, you know, we were not thinking about the same thing. So the, I believe the strategy of the how needs to be defined by the expert, the person you're going to hire, but the strategy of where you need to go needs to be defined by you, like the hiring manager. So, so that's the part that I think I got confused and mixed up um, and led me to make some, you know, wrong hires. Um or rushed into certain recruitments. So um, let's, let's pause there really quick. I think you said something yeah. really interesting where the how is not the thing that you as a leader should be deciding. Mm-hmm. Um, as a leader, you should be deciding like the why, like why is this important? And, mm-hmm. like and the, the where we're going, like what what's the goal, right? Yeah. And then you hire someone. Who what does like, success look like? Yes. Yeah, what does success look like? Yeah. What does it look like if we are really great in campaigns? What does it look like when we're really good at social media? What does it look like if we're amazing in PR? Um, and, you know, I think that I had notions of it, but it was not clear enough. Mm-hmm. And maybe if it was just one scope um, and one person being not clear enough, I could have remedied that with coaching managing and kind of fixing it make course but because i had to open up like four or five different new roles at the same time um and then i actually ended up managing a manager so it's like two layers down it just became 
impossible to chaos fix yeah like yeah. all have recluse like you know <laughs> five different new people with like five different new strategies and playbooks that we need to clear up and fix and so i would say like that um it's my main kind of learning experience um and i wouldn't say like it's all like shit and now we're like <laughs> it's like a shit show all around but i was just saying like there's a lot of like painful things um that i think could have been avoided if i had planned better on the scope and the strategy and um and so yeah i had to let some people go um and restructure the team um i thought that i could do with you know less direct reports but and no i had to directly manage some people especially for the new scopes because if you have a new manager managing new people then there's just too many layers of information that can get lost and um yeah so i'm going to start a podcast talking about all of this you should i don't think there's enough people talking about these things yeah loud. my my girlfriend just found a podcast called oh. women at work and oh. she shared the episode we were listening to it while we were cooking and I'm like oh wow oh. they talk about a lot of the things i've actually had to struggle with. And oh, I'm really? Woman, but I'm sure everyone else like is dealing with this too. So, oh, you gotta um, share with me. Voice yeah. adding, I'll share it with you. Yeah, yeah. There's another, if there's another voice like yours sharing it, I I would strongly recommend adding that okay. to the conversation. Well, for I'll add that to the yeah. New Year resolution. <laughs> so, with with all this conversation around marketing portfolios, like things that are more predictable, like quote predictable, and things that are less. Uh, predictable, predictable in terms of ROI and like creativeness and brand. There's this whole conversation and a wave of AI tools coming into marketing. And there's like, you can create images, you can blog, write blog posts, you can produce videos now as well. Like, how are you thinking about how that might impact your career, like other marketers' careers or the industry at, uh, in a, uh, yeah. Whole? I think that, um, I mean, I'm still just starting to understand the full extent of what, you know, um, chat GPT could do for our lives, you know, let alone marketing. Um, I think that, well, first it's probably going to make a lot of bad marketing go away. So in a sense, I think that's good. Like marketing, when I say bad, bad marketing, it's like content that it's just, you know, uh, it's just a vomit of, you know, the top five search results of that keyword um, yeah. and things that have no perspective, opinion, um, flavor. <laughs> it's how I would describe it. So, so that's a good thing. I think it forces us to step up our game on like, really how we're differentiated, not just from our competitors now, but from a robot. Um, so that means, you know, thinking of marketing that has more personality, has more humanness in the sense that, and I think we're already heading in that direction, at least the way I think about our brand um, with the docuseries, with the masterclass, we're always featuring the person. Um, and it's always about creating that relationship of the audience with the people that work within our company. Um, it's 
well, it's a bit like influencer marketing in the sense that, you know, the influencers, they have this relationship with their audience and people watch them for them and not exactly like no matter kind of, it goes beyond the content they're producing. It's really for the person that they're watching something or reading something. So I think if we can get there, that would be, you know, really amazing and a huge win and kind of where we need to, to go. And related to that, I think it's to really tap into more of the community that, that we're building. So we have an L&D community of over 2000 people that we're growing. And today it's kind of a separate entity. Like it sits within my team, but it's still kind of separate from content. And I think we, I need to find a way for the two teams to work more together. So then content is it's not like content with a bit of community, but like how it's community really driving our content strategy. Um, so then we're creating content for and with this community and that part cannot be copied, cannot be, you know, just generated by AI because it's, it's really completely driven by, you know, the people and the people are changing, moving and, and, and then we infuse personality and just the humanness of it. Um, and it's not just about, oh, I get, the, I want information and I can get it for a robot. It's about like, I'm part of this community and I get these relationships. And that's why I, I want and I, you know, I like this brand and I go to them. Um, so yeah, maybe moving away from informational to relational marketing. Um, yeah, I just made up those terms. I don't know if they're the right ones. They might be a thing. They might become a thing starting now. But it's it's interesting. It sounds like you're not too concerned where it's sure it's going to be another tool. I actually think there's going to be a proliferation of bad marketing. But that oh. means that the good, I, I think that means that the good marketing will stand out. Like the people yeah. doing good marketing will yeah, have yeah, an yeah. easier time standing out because yeah. the bar is low now. So, of course, that's mm-hmm. going to be a lot of crap. But now people who step above the bar are going to be like, it's very clear who's doing well and who's not. Yeah, I think when we need to get concerned is when robots can have original thought and emotions <laughs> and build those. That, that's a long time from now, hopefully. Have you um, have you listened to the New York Times podcast on like them trying, you know, the chat in real time? No. You need to listen to it. And they were like feeding it uh, commands like, um, write me a love story. And then... Mm-hmm writes a perfect love story of Jack and Jill and, you know, and then you can, you know, change it, modify it by saying like, okay, now write me a love story in uh, as if I'm a gangster in the fifties. And then it would change the tone. And then there's like, okay, now write it in Shakespearean language. And then it will change. Wow. And like, it's amazing. So maybe like we need to just find a way to kind of use it in a funny way somehow to an advantage. Uh, but yeah, I am not too worried. Um, I think it's about being creative, being more intentional, which is already what we need to be doing anyway. Um, and yeah, the the winners are going to win even more, like what you yeah. said. Mm. Yeah, I feel like there's a whole bunch of things we could start talking <laughs> about, but I know we don't have all day. And so we'll wrap it up with some of the questions I like asking each guest mm. at the end and we'll take it uh, and wrap it up from there. So, okay. What's one opinion? Uh, what's one opinion you have about business or marketing that you think people would disagree with? 
Um, what opinion do you have about business that you think people disagree with? Huh. Um, it's hard. I have a lot of opinions. I don't know what people would disagree with. Um, I think I think we need to work less. Um, <laughs> I think we need to work less so then we are more creative and we dream bigger. Myself, like I, the less I work, the better I am at my job, actually. Um, I think you need to, one, I think something I read recently that really liked is like, you need to rest to dream. So like literally you need to be sleeping to dream. So like all the great ideas come when you're, you're relaxed, you're resting, you know, people think about the shower, but it's really when you're relaxed. So yeah, I think you need to work less. Um, maybe people would disagree. I love that. I. It's not something I would intuitively do, but it's a great reminder <laughs> for me where I'm like, I actually haven't rested in a while. Oh man, you, you need that. it. <laughs> I do. What's one impactful piece of advice you've been given? Impactful piece of advice. Uh, I've been given a lot of impactful advice. Um, so I can say a few and you can see which one is most interesting. So uh, I was... I had a like kind of a I have a professional coach and I remember she was telling me like I had these I had these kind of notions of who I need to be uh if I if I want to like succeed or kind of climb up the ladder or whatever um, and I felt that I had to choose between, you know, being myself and being like more corporate or more like representing the interests of the company. And, and in my mind, it was being more like unempathetic and, you know, less kind or whatever. And then my coach was kind of saying like, he, she just asked me, is that true? And, and then I realized it's not true. I realized it's a story that I created in my mind. So then now, whenever I feel frustrated and stuck with something, I would ask myself, is that, is this true? And then usually I would be like, well, actually, no, it's another story I'm telling myself that I, it's kind of something I created. And there's usually like a middle ground or another way, or like another way to think about or look at it. So that's the first one. And then another one is um, it's about hiring. Uh, it's my, and maybe some people are familiar with that. It's my previous VP who said, if there's a doubt, then there's no doubt um, with hiring people. And, you know, at some point I didn't want to listen to that because I think it sounded a bit cruel, but now I'm like, yeah, actually you need to trust your intuition sometimes. Like if you feel like there's a bit of something off or like you're not fully convinced, then it's better not to take a risk. Like if there's a doubt, there's no doubt regarding hiring. I love those. Mm. Thanks for those. <laughs> 
So what skills or area of your life are you currently skilling up on? Um, related to my work or in general? Could be either. <laughs> um, so related to my work, I would say it's it's about um going beyond content as i said like i have to kind of upskill myself on the brand side of things uh which includes the brand design website um a lot of the analytics um and then on campaigns and pr which are things that are new to me um so figuring out all that and then how that could work with my core kind of my strengths which is content um i think you know if you think about a T-shaped marketer, you still have to remember your kind of your stamp thing. Um, so, so I need to think about how to make all of those kind of work all together. And then, um, and then also thinking, and I'm also working on like thinking more from the company's perspective and interesting because I just said what I said about like not wanting to become too, you know, corporate or thinking from the interest of the company. But like I'm seeing that, you know, as you step up as a leader, you have to. And the the trick is not to just avoid it and forever like think from the perspective of the team versus the company, but to think about how can you think in the interest of the company while protecting or thinking of what's best for your team. Um, and that includes things like how do you plan better, demonstrate your impact better, communicate better, so then you don't put your team in the position where when we have to cut budgets and resources, you have to then give them a bad surprise and uh, kind of have, blind, in a way, blindside them because they don't see it coming um, or have to make decisions that you regret because you didn't plan well enough or prepare the team well enough. Um, that means saying maybe no more often, focusing the team more, uh, being more strict with with approvals on budget or uh, expenses. And so then you don't have to later have those like kind of difficult conversations. Um, so those on the on the professional side and on the personal side, I'm trying to think about how to diversify my income stream. <laughs> oh, <laughs> like, yeah, I know you. How you're good at that. So maybe I have to read your blog post or something about your finances. I remember you shared something yeah. a long time ago. Yeah, I'm happy to chat about all that stuff <laughs> separately. That I love geeking out about that stuff. <laughs> yeah, because so. um, yeah, I'm tired of like just waiting for this raise to increase yeah. my um, yeah, my my income. So I need to diversify. Yeah. Got to get that bag. I get it. So where can people find you on the internet? LinkedIn. Um, that's where I am. Find me there. Awesome. Joey, this was a wonderful conversation. Really enjoyed this time together. Thank you so Great. much for joining us. Thank you. I'm glad it went well. Um, and hopefully somebody got something out of it.